The opinions expressed by the guests and contributors of this podcast are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Cornell University or its employees. Thank you all for joining us today. My name is Anthony Sis, and you are listening to the Inclusive Excellence Podcast. Welcome back. Thank you for joining me and Sharon on another episode of the Inclusive Excellence Podcast. Sharon, how are you doing today? Oh, today is a very good day. Feeling really good, enjoying my summer, just basking, taking it all in because, you know, winter is coming. It does feel like winter is coming. It's been cold these past few days. I feel mm-hmm. the cold coming in at night now, and I'm just like, is it already fall? Well, I'm so glad that you're going to find something positive to come out of this. (laughs) If nothing else, it is absolutely beautiful. I'm sure it is. I remember the transition from spring to summer, and I was like, whoa, this is gorgeous. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's it's when you are um, taking the long road trip from Ithaca to anywhere, you're going to see that the foliage is just breathtaking in some areas. So um, keep your cameras closed. All right. Well, Ithaca is gorgeous, right? (laughs) That too. Thank you for sharing, Sharon. I believe it is your turn to ask the question of the day. Yes, it is, Anthony, and I have a good one for you. It's gonna, it's gonna have you going back, way back. How back are we talking? I'm talking, you know, elementary school age, maybe. Okay. All right. Okay. The question is, what is a cultural practice that is unique to your home, and does it influence your workplace? Ooh, that's a good question. For me, I think about my upbringing, especially with being raised by my mom, she loved cleaning, mm-hmm. and she was very big on cleaning in a particular way. Mm-hmm. She ensured in many ways that I did a good job cleaning. So I, I love that. That's good parenting as far as I'm concerned. It <laughs> I is. love it. And, of course, as a kid, you know, I complained about it, and I used to say, like, I don't want to clean, or, mm-hmm. you know, because she would purposely play music very early on Saturday mornings. That was the cue right. without explicitly saying, like, hey, everybody should get up to clean. Just playing salsa music okay. at 6, 7, 8 o'clock in the morning, that was her cue that everyone should be up. You said 6 o'clock Saturday morning? Sometimes, sometimes. I don't know, Anthony. That's not love. That, <laughs> I'm kidding. I, I used to question it a lot when I was right? younger, too. Right? Until until I got older, okay. and then I realized that she did everything for a reason, mm-hmm. as most parents typically do, right, to instill us valuable lessons on how to adult when right. we do get to adult age. And so now I look back on that experience, and cleaning for me is such an important thing for me. It helps yeah. me focus. It helps me stay concentrated on whatever it is that I'm doing and so I for me know that as a result of having that experience of knowing how to clean cleaning really good on Saturdays like I just cannot focus when I have a messy environment right so I may be disorganized and so the moment I see there's clutter in my office space or just anywhere even in my own home mm-hmm. I just tend to get very anxious and I put everything to the side and I just focus on that because I just I just cannot stand working in a dirty space period I, I completely understand that sense of clean environment allows your brain to feel cleaner and you know less cluttered yeah. in your mind if your environment is not cluttered in addition to just being in a space that's clutter free I think that there is definitely some kind of therapy that happens during the act of cleaning itself. Kudos to mom. I love that. Does that affect your workplace, do you think, that sense of cleaning your environment and keeping your environment um, clutter-free? Definitely. So, I mean, for, for me, like I said, like if I have a lot of mess on my desk, especially at the current moment, for example, <laughs> I haven't gotten to that point yet where it's affected my 
kind of productivity in operating in that space. Right. But I know it's going to get to a point where I'm going to need to just put everything to the side and just clean up all of the clutter that I have and all of the documents. And it definitely does affect kind of my, my own workplace and my productivity specifically I if I don't that. do those things. So I associate the cleaning as something very cultural with like my mom and her being Puerto Rican and always playing salsa music and Latino yeah. music. So I, I associate that as part of a culture and part of my culture specifically. And that's how I think it affects the workplace. And for me. I love that your mom starts off the day waking you up with music as opposed to saying, Anthony, time to get up. You know, yeah. I think that's really good. That's very kind. And it's almost like a gentle way of saying, OK, baby, I love you, but you're going to have to wake up. Well, she wasn't so that. gentle when she reminded <laughs> us that we should have already been up two hours ago because yeah. she had been up since four or five cleaning, mm-hmm. but didn't put music. So. I don't know your mom, but I really like her. <laughs> she, my mom is a wonderful human being, so and she knows that. And that's I love her awesome. a lot. So, Oh, that's so sweet. Yes. Shout out to Anthony's mom. <laughs> yes, she, she'll, she will listen. <laughs> awesome. So then my, my response to the question about a cultural practice, it goes back to my childhood. I remember... I was a kid. I lived in Brooklyn from 1973 when I came to the country until about 81. So very, very young childhood. I left Brooklyn when I was in like seventh grade or something like that. So this is like straight elementary school age. I remember it was a big deal for when my mom introduced me or my siblings to her friends, whether it's a coworker or just a church friend or some other adult. I remember her taking it very seriously if we were to say anything other than hello, use the person's name. You know, like I couldn't be introduced to an adult and said hi. You know, that was so incredibly informal and and kind of rude. So I remember that being a big deal. We had to look the person in the eyes. We had to say hello, use their name. And also, if it was appropriate, I would use my own name, too. I'd introduce myself with my full name, unless, of course, my mom already said, this is my daughter, Sharon, or something like that. But I remember that being a big deal. It was like this, this sense of formality. It was very important in our household. And I think about that, and I think about how that impacts my workday or just my adult life. I do feel like there is a sense of propriety and a sense of formality that should happen at least that first introduction with somebody. And um, while I have departed from that, just because, you know, I'm my own adult and this is 2019, those teachings are still very much embedded in me. So I know that if I had a young person that I had to raise, because I don't have any children, but if I had a child or if I'm with my niece or nephew, I definitely share with them those things that my parents taught me about how to introduce yourself and present yourself to an adult. And that also expands out to just phone etiquette. That was also another big thing. So back in the days when everyone didn't have their own phone, their own cell phone, there was usually a house phone. And parents didn't have cell phones on them. So if I was calling my mom, I would call her office or her job. I would absolutely have to have proper phone etiquette when I was on the phone. I'd say, hello, may I speak with so-and-so, please? Excuse me, please, and thank you goes a long way in my household. And so that is a big deal. So I'll never forget the time my mom answered the phone. It was one of my friends from school calling me. And the person called and was like, hey, Sharon, blah, 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 blah. And my mom was like, "Uh, Sharon doesn't live alone, you know. And the person was like, oh, hi, Mrs. Brown. How are you today? I'm well. How are you? Just as a reminder. (laughs) Yes. And the thing about it, my friends from like seventh grade through high school, 
they really tease me about that. They're like, oh, don't call Sharon's house unless you're not chewing gum or wow. something like that. <laughs> but there is just a sense of propriety how to present yourself because I think that underneath it all, my mom really feels like we are representing her to some degree and oh, we're representing yeah. our household. Yeah. So especially being an immigrant family, yes. we had to definitely make sure that everything was spot on all the time. It was something to behold. Of course, in the thick of it, I was hating every moment of it and I was embarrassed. But now when I go out and I see people who are not respectful to their parents or to adults, I'm absolutely appalled. I'm like, oh my gosh, who raised that person? <laughs> but yeah, so I think those are the things that I learned in childhood, culturally, and it definitely affects how I am as an adult and in the workplace, particularly the phone etiquette piece. That That's a big deal. Um, you answer, I, I never answer the phone like, what? You know, or th something yeah, like no, that. I, I, yeah. I state my name or say good morning or just hello right. or something like that. Yeah, so I really appreciate it now. But in the moment, I, I'm sure I was pushing back. I think something that you said that, that really stood out to me was that whole excuse me, please, and thank you go a long way. Oh, my goodness, yes. I think they really do. I mean, I think about all the situations that I've had where even conflicts in the workplace happen and just simply saying sorry mm -hmm. or thank you for listening. Right. You know, they really do go a long way. And they're simple statements that it's just sometimes our ego or sometimes other things kind of get into the way of right. expressing those kinds of phrases explicitly right coming out of our mouths. But right. it's so true, though. It's yeah, and, and nothing in the world feels as good as when somebody is able to look you in the eye and sincerely say thank you, you know, for, for almost anything. To me, feeling that sincerity, it means, it means so much. It's like there's this human connection in that moment when someone says, I'm sorry, when someone says, please help me, when someone says, thank you, those things are just, they just connect humans, you know? And so those, those are the things, the lessons that I carry from childhood. I just feel complete when I'm able to, to express that. That was a really interesting question. Thank <laughs> you for that question of the day, Sharon. You're welcome, you're welcome. So before we transition into our topic for today, Sharon and I wanted to share with you all, the listeners, something unique that we did at last month's Staff Development Day. Mm -hmm. uh, it took place on Wednesday, August 7th. And so for those of you who don't know, Staff Development Day is an annual event that gives Cornell employee opportunities to invest in personal and professional growth and well-being opportunities. And mm -hmm. so... There's basically a number of different workshops that are happening. I facilitated two of them. Yeah, I have gone to workshops in the past. This year, I wasn't able to go to as many workshops as I wanted. So I was able to sit in on your workshop, which was wonderful. And I was able to sit in on the workshop about coaching. So at this year's event, we asked a few staff members to answer a question of the day. The same way we do it here on the podcast, we gave them the option to answer one of two questions. All right. So the first question was, Name a situation or experience that you've had at Cornell University where you felt a strong sense of belonging. Yes. So we asked that question actually a few episodes ago, too, that Sharon and I answered. Right. But we made it live for people to answer at Staff Development Day. And we got some really good responses from that. The second question that we asked is, what is it that you need to feel a sense of belonging in the workplace? With those two questions, let's hear what they said. So I've been here for 32 years and really belonging for me has been about team within a staff. Um, I work in uh, residential life and I had the most wonderful supervisor who put his staff first and said if I put all the energy into my staff they are going to do the best work with students. And we had such a sense of team during those days 
where we really, we came together for fun, we came together for meetings, we created together, and it was such a high sense of value, and those are the things over my time at Cornell that have really kept me here. I have two teams right now that I'm a part of, and I have that same feeling of value that I want to do the best work and stay here. I had a meeting yesterday with someone who um, I work in student services, and I had a meeting yesterday with um, another student services professional who's higher in the hierarchy than me, and we um, got to talking about some of the philosophy sort of underpinning the undergraduate experience in um, my college, and it was, I guess it felt so good to talk to somebody about um, why we're doing the work that we're doing and have that that space and that have him make that time for me to really talk about um, the deeper significance of of you know all the little nuanced technical details of what we're doing every day um, so it felt really good that we that we got to take that time and spend that energy on that throughout my almost 30 years here I've I've really never not felt that I belonged. I've, I've been fortunate enough to be able to work with people or for people who are uh, visionary and who also uh, give you an opportunity to develop yourself, be your true self, right? So it's a tough question to answer. That's why when I asked you before, you know, one concrete thing. It, it, it spans for me my entire career, and I feel very fortunate in that aspect. For me, the sense of belonging at Cornell, I've had a number of experiences. In fact, I have one typically every day where I run into someone who I've had some positive interaction with or who will share a story about something that they learned from a session I taught or interaction we had. And so in that way, right, I feel as if I belong here, and I feel as if my purpose, my gifts are being used in a positive way to make a difference for the university. So that's belonging and it happens literally every day. Someone will come up and say something good about something that I've done or even today doing the sessions, people are saying, you know, thank you for that. That was really helpful. Uh, so in those cases, right, I feel as if I belong here and I'm supposed to make a contribution. Thank you to everyone who answered the question at Staff Development Day. I definitely learned a lot from the people who answered the question and really look forward to doing more opportunities like that in the future. One of the things that I love about working here at Cornell is that in the short time that I've been here, I feel like I've met so many staff and faculty members from all over the world. And so I think that's something that's really, especially in a place like Ithaca, right. kind of caught me off guard a little bit. I was like, okay, I'm finding some level or a good level of diversity, right, in terms of not just, you know, one particular identity, but from across all right. different identities from all countries. So I thought that was really awesome. And I think Cornell truly does bring the best and the brightest minds together, which is why I found this topic in particular to be an extremely important one that we talk about on the podcast in terms of how do we engage and interact with people from other countries. Yes, it is. And the exposure to not just the individuals, but their ideas and ways of being in the world, I think it's very eye-opening. And as a person who's grown up in America, while I wasn't born here, I've been here since I was four years old. So this is all I really know in terms of day-to-day -day norms for myself. And I am always excited to learn more about other cultures and how they do things where they are. For example, did you know that in France, it's actually a law where they have to log off <laughs> they have to what log time? off their computers. 
um, it says that they are not, the law says that they're not, that professionals are not responsible for responding to emails that come in after hours. So what I'm reading this to mean is that if your organization has a set of hours of operation, anything outside of that, you are not responsible. And by law, you don't have to respond. It's something that I, I feel like the U.S. we strive for, but it's not necessarily supported, you know. And once again, it's not necessarily a Cornell thing. I think it's across the board in the U.S. But um, that's one of the things that people who have lived in France, you know, they're able to share this information and this different style of being where it's like we, we could examine that and see how we can benefit from in, in um, employing some similar act i doubt it will ever be law <laughs> but yeah. a girl can hope <laughs> well it's that whole concept of what is it work to live or live to work exactly and i think that's definitely that definitely sounds like to me a work to live rather than a live to work kind mm -hmm. of yes. concept mentality right exactly so yeah i think a lot about just so even just touching upon that with different lifestyles or different ways of examining what a workplace looks like I think it can be very different depending on where one is born, how one is raised in different countries, right? And so, in, you know, I've lived in Portugal and I've lived in Cuba. I spent three months there studying abroad. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, people worked, but it wasn't such a core part of their lives, you know? part of their The core part of their lives was spending time with family, spending time with friends, and yeah. work was work, right? And they, they would go do it and... That was that. But but a lot of it was really meant on it was focused on this working to live piece, you know, right. spending time with people, spending time with building relationships. And, and what does that look like beyond the workplace with other coworkers? Right. So in Portugal, I think about in particular, uh, all of my coworkers I was friends with outside of the workplace environment. But because it was such a small city and I didn't know very many people. So they, they served as my kind of core foundation for me to get around to do every every little basic thing like going to the bank going to the grocery store. Doing, yeah, that's important. That's... Doing little things, right? And so little but also big and valuable mm -hmm. things that are very important. And so I formed a lot of really great relationships with them. I went to their homes and met their families. And so, you know, I think some of that takes place here too. I just don't think it's part of kind of what we think about when we think of workplace culture and how maybe we're inviting of those kinds of folks who maybe want to invite, you know, other people out and things like that. It's not, right. it's like you said, it's not part of kind of my understanding, at least having been born here too, my understanding of workplace culture. Right. You know? Right. And and it's it's really interesting because it I think it speaks to what as a nation they value, you know? And I think uh, the US values that that commerce, you know, that making that money. And the US I find that it's very much about individual betterment, you know, individual growth as opposed to growing us as a nation. You know, we are taught go do well, succeed for yourself and your family. It's, it's very individualized. Whereas in other cultures, it's like do what you do for the love of the country. And I think once that shift has happened, the country starts to instill these opportunities where you can show that you love your country, your country loves you. So here, let me show you how we value you and your work by allowing you the opportunity to not work so you can focus on the other things in your life that are important. Mm. I think outside of that, particularly like the patriotism piece too, I just think that it's important for us to keep in mind that when people are coming from other countries to work in another country, me myself having done that when I went to Portugal, right, mm -hmm. that there be kind of this understanding that 
it's not just in terms of adjusting to the workforce, but it's adjusting to this new language, this new overall. culture, this new community, right? And and also just very different ways of understanding what the workplace means to folks, right? Mm -hmm. So. So I think this is an important conversation that it doesn't, I hear it oftentimes talked about when it comes to supporting students, students from international countries and in terms of student services, but not when it comes to staff and faculty. And we do have a number of different resources that people can take advantage of. And I think that a lot of folks are aware of when they come to Cornell, but then it's what happens when they're here that contributes to this experience, right? So, you know, we're living in Ithaca and we're living in upstate New York, you know, and in terms of all of these, you know, regional differences and language and culture, it's it's a lot and it can be very overwhelming at times. I know I definitely felt that way when I was in Portugal sometimes where I felt overwhelmed by just kind of the fact that I was speaking a language that I wasn't 100% familiar with, Portuguese, right, like every single day. And and it can be draining. It can be extremely draining. And, and many times I can think, now that I think back on it, there would be days I would just spend by myself, not going out, not reaching out to anybody because I was just overwhelmed by the adjustment. And that can also happen to people when they're coming into a new workplace too. Absolutely. And I think part of it also is paying attention to your personal well-being and your mental health as you because as a non-American working in American culture, it can be very draining and you're always on, okay, if, especially if you're entering into the culture with a language difference because depending on how new you are to speaking the language, you may not be thinking in English. So therefore, what you're hearing, you have to translate it twice in your head, translate it to receive it, and then translate back your response. And that is, that is mentally draining to have to do that. And so that's why, like, wellness and taking care of self is so important. People in the U.S. work 12 hours. I mean, people who work shifts sometimes, if they, hopefully they have the choice to work a double shift or something like that where they can easily work a 12-hour or 16-hour shift if they choose to do a double shift. 16 hours? I couldn't. No. Listen, it's not, it's not no. impossible. And the reason I know that is because, like I said, my mom was a single parent by the time I was 10. And I talk about my other siblings. Now, my, all my siblings were older. Okay, and so they like they were my mom while my mom would work really hard, and she would often work a double shift. My mom was a nurse. <laughs> she was a nurse, and so there was plenty of work for her to do, and she would take as many hours as she could because, one, she was a really good parent, so she knew her kids were good, and we know how to reach her and things like that, even before cell phones, can you imagine? And so, and so she would often work a double shift, so that would be 16 hours. So that's why when she'd come home, she'd be really tired and, you know, check in, make sure everybody is well and everybody's fed and everything is good. And she would just sleep and rest, you know, and take care of the essentials to keep the house running. But, yeah, working um, 16 hours, it's not that foreign to me in, in how I grew up and how my family was, was um, how we went through our lives. This is like survival, you know? As I'm thinking about how we support and kind of keep in mind some of the considerations when it comes to folks coming from other countries, mm -hmm. I think a lot about my dad's experience in the workplace. And, and there's some experiences that he shared with me about just the the difficulties he had in adjusting to to living here in the U.S. and right. he came to the U.S. in the winter uh, in Chicago. Yeah, my parents worst, did that too. <laughs> worst time, and so he he jokingly refers back to that experience and and how he was so silly to like even come here and how he was terrified. He didn't know what he was thinking, but that when he started working for his like first job, you know, oh, he had many jobs, but. Just some of the kind of horrifying experiences that he had not speaking English mm -hmm. or not having English as his first language at the time, right? And then having to worry about things related to 
social security, residency, all these things, which currently in the socio-political context and climate that we're in, I mean, there's a lot of kind of things at stake when it comes to working with international populations who might be here on a work visa or on a student visa. There's, you know, so many different type of visas that are kind of, you know, up in the air at the moment with currently policies that are dictating kind of, you know, folks who are coming to this country who are not coming to this country. So I think all of that are things to consider as well when we're thinking about how do we support international populations right. because it's we can't assume that they're guaranteed to stay here and have a job here if there are things kind of outside of Cornell that are happening. So I think that's why I think this conversation is also very, very timely, right. but also very important because there are a lot of things that impact how, you know, when we talk about mental health, physical health, mm-hmm. physical well-being, mm-hmm. that can kind of really affect are folks who are coming from other countries at the moment. And so Cornell, obviously, is an institution. We support them, right, right, and in many different ways. But there are some things that are just outside of our purview that can affect their well-being as well. That's true. And I know that um, quite quite a few of the people here at Cornell, they they have their families. So as a person who is offered a position here with the university, they may have a, a... a spouse and a young child that's going to come with them while they're finding work here. So it is super important to have that network uh, and, and community where they can find others who have common history, common background, common culture, so that they can at least have a support network or the beginnings of a support network for them as they transition into American culture. A very good friend of my family, this is a person who is comparable to my parents' age, and um, he has been living in the U.S. now for quite a few years. He's married and raised children and things like that. But he says that when he first came to the U.S., he was he was uh, probably in his 30s or so, and um, he's from one of the Caribbean countries. In home, he is an accountant. So he is good with, you know, mathematics and things like that and numbers and theories and accounting practices. But the only job when he first came to the country that he could find because of the language barrier um, was being a dishwasher in a restaurant. And, okay, there, there's honor in that. That's, that's, uh, there's no shame around that. But what he shared with me was that when he was doing that job, nobody took the time to let him know that he could take a break and do like go to the restroom or go, you know, take a break from doing the actual job. And he, as a person who was not speaking English fluently, and he didn't even know that he could ask for breaks. So this is when it's so important to have an advocate for yourself or have some kind of sponsor, somebody who can let you know that, hey, it's okay. You know, in the U.S., you are by law entitled to have a break from certain jobs that you're doing, your supervisor or your, your company is supposed to give you those breaks. And so it, it saddened me. Eventually, he did get back into the accounting business, but he does remember stories when he first came to the U.S., and I think he came to the U.S. Um, either late 70s or early 80s, and he was in Manhattan, you know, a big city where lots of immigrants. Yeah, and even the story you shared, too, of your friend, right? Mm-hmm. There's also things outside of the language piece that serve as a barrier. It's, you know, the adjustment. If you want to be an accountant, you need a certain license right. to be able to practice it here. All right. So we've talked a lot about challenges for people who are particularly coming in from other countries, transitioning over into the workforce, talking about cultural differences, especially adjusting to life here in the U.S., mm-hmm. and vice versa. So let's talk about some benefits. Okay. Let's talk about some benefits. So I think one of the benefits for sure is the language and the foreign knowledge of coming from another country, 
knowing another language and then adjusting to working here, mm-hmm. adjusting to life here, but bringing that knowledge and that skill set, I think is extremely valuable. I think it only contributes to kind of the fabric of what we value here in terms of diversity and inclusion here at Cornell. And it just, I think it definitely allows for just a lot more creativity to kind of enter the workplace. It also offers insight to the people who are here and they only know one way of being, which is the American way, (laughs) whatever that may be, just understanding that there are other ways to exist in the world and other ways to get things done. And so bring in people from another country, it's, it's great to get their perspective. Something that I found really fascinating is I was listening to a podcast the other day and they mentioned this thing called the edge effect, which okay. in ecology, it describes how there's greater diversity of life in a region when the edges of two nearby or adjacent ecosystems are in contact with one another. So such as land and water, forest, grassland, like right when they're at the tip, that actually creates a room for greater diversity to exist in that area. Okay, I like that. I like that. And so I think that definitely applies to the workplace when we're thinking about just the unique sense of these two different ways of understanding around the workplace dynamic and workplace functions, right? When they come together nearby and kind of create this new ecosystem, new understanding of the workplace as a whole and understanding what folks from that particular, you know, from both particular areas can kind of come together and bring to Mm -hmm. the team. I think that also can really apply to people when you bring people from other backgrounds and other lived experiences from other countries. So I think that is essentially an intersectionality of sorts. Many ways. Intersectionality of two two cultures that come together, whereas usually when we use intersectionality in so far in discussion, it's been about identities, and this is yet another identity. You know, so if I'm going to bring my Caribbean culture into the U.S., so there are definitely places where there is overlap, and that's where new and exciting things come together, like like music. <laughs> so. Yes. Yeah. And I think the same understanding can also be applied in the context of working in a team in a particular workplace environment. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been a wonderful conversation, Anthony. For our next podcast, we are going to be continuing the conversation with more of what's going on. More of what's going on. That's right. We're going to have two wonderful guests, and I'm not going to introduce them right away because um, we love that element of surprise, don't we? We do. <laughs> yes. In addition to that element of surprise, I do have to make an announcement that the episode coming up will be my last episode of the Inclusive Excellence podcast. I just feel like I've been doing this for a while, and while I really enjoy it, I think it's only fair to allow others to have the opportunity to get their voices out and to have conversations about diversity, inclusion, and belonging at Cornell. Anthony, who's coming in my shoes? So my new co-host, I was actually going to ask you to introduce them, but it's okay. Oh, I could introduce the co-host. It's okay. It's okay. (laughs) You know, it's okay. I'm actually really excited, too, to be working with the new co-host, Tora Patel. She is our diversity and inclusion specialist in the Department of Inclusion and Workforce Diversity. So I'm super excited. Tora also brings just a a number of different lived experiences, Mm -hmm. skill sets, so much information, wealth of knowledge, and I'm always learning from her as well as with you, Sharon, being on the podcast. So I'm excited for all the listeners. To get to learn more about Toro in the next few episodes. And so. Toro will definitely be continuing the conversation and it will be just as robust and engaging. Absolutely. And, and yes. all the listening audience will be very happy to hear her perspective and point of view on various topics having to do with diversity, inclusion, and belonging. Absolutely. I do, you know, want to say that it 
it does make me sad, but I am just extremely grateful. And I think, you know, I think a lot of listeners have really valued your input on the podcast, especially oh, so with, with everybody who I've heard from, you know, who has listened thus far. And so on behalf of everyone who's listening and myself included, <laughs> thank you for being such thank a great you. co-host. Oh, my gosh. It was a lot of fun. It's it's a, it's incredible because, you know, I try to find opportunities to surprise myself. And while I have been doing like community theater and things like that, this is the first time that I've actually done any podcasting. And it's incredibly comfortable. And I, I don't know if it's because I just like to hear my own voice <laughs> or if it's because Anthony is such a good conversationalist. I mean, that too, just, that could possibly be something. I think to... it's the latter. I definitely <laughs> think that, um, you know, it, basically what I'm saying is that I give what I get. You know, it's easy for me to talk to you because you're easy to talk to, plain and simple. And I appreciate you for doing what you do because. All the prep, the listening audience does not understand all the preparation that goes behind the scenes for this podcast production. Anthony does a lot of work. You know, I just sit back and hope that I have my thoughts together by the time we record. But um, props go to you, Anthony. And thank you so much for allowing me to just share in this experience. It's a wonderful thing. And I love the opportunity to be a podcast co-host. Well, on behalf of everyone listening and on behalf of the team, I once again want to say thank you, Sharon, for being such a great and awesome co-host. Oh, thank you. You make it so easy for me to co-host with you. Thank you all for listening to today's episode of the Inclusive Excellence Podcast. If you like this episode, please leave us a comment and like us on SoundCloud to let people know about this podcast. Also, if you or a fellow colleague would like to be interviewed for an upcoming episode, please email us at ie-academy at cornell.edu. My name is Sharon Brown. My name is Anthony Sis. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Inclusive Excellence Podcast. A special shout out and thank you to Burt Odom-Reed, our sound engineer from the Cornell Broadcast Studio, for making us sound wonderful each and every episode. Thank you, Burt. Thank you.